Are you experiencing some guilt and shame? Pastor Ed Taylor says God doesn't want you to stay there. When you see the sins coming back and the enemy tries to use it against you, you see it sneaking up in the back door or front door. You see it sneaking up through your husband and your wife. You see your kids bringing it up or your past, just, just weird things coming up. Remember, it has run away. Jesus Christ, he has taken away your sin and the guilt and the shame. And there's great joy and rejoicing to be found in Jesus Christ because today we have a real lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived and he died and he rose again to remove both the guilt of sin and its shame. This is amazing grace. It's time once again for Abounding Grace, the radio ministry of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. When we left you last time, Pastor Ed Taylor was explaining how sin and death came into the world through one man, Adam. But I'm glad to say what Adam did to the human race is reversible. We'll learn how in the minutes ahead of us. So turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 5 as we hand things over to Pastor Ed. Adam ushered sin in. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. So how did sin enter the world? Through one man. What's his name? Adam. Very easy answer. Sin came into the world because of Adam. Look at verse 19. For as one man's disobedience, many were made what? Sinners. Many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jot it down, Psalm 51, verse five, the psalmist writes, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Everyone is born with a sinful nature. And in my, son's, in my sin, my mother conceived me, the psalmist. Everyone's born with a sinful nature. Sin entered the world and Adam ushered it in. Number two, Adam's failure brought death into the world. Adam's failure brought death into the world. Back to verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who as a type of him was to come. See, it wasn't the law that revealed that. It, it wasn't someone revealing sin. When you watch someone die, it was a reminder that sin was in the world. There's three types of death that the Bible speak of. You can jot them down. Death, by way of definition, simply means separation. That's all that death means. And so when you look at these, you understand the first type of death the Bible speaks of is spiritual death, spiritual death. Adam was immediately cut off from God spiritually. The word means to separate. And immediately Adam was separated from God because of his sin. So Paul then writes in Ephesians chapter two, verse one of the person apart from God. And he made, he you made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the condition of man apart from God. Believers, you were made alive. You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. Why? Because of Adam. Because of Adam's transgression. Number two is physical death. Physical death. We see that all around us. 
Physical death is the dictator to which every man, woman must bow. And the world has become one huge graveyard because of sin. God never intended the world to be a place of death, but because of Adam's choice, that's exactly what it is. We all die. We all separate from these bodies. Believers separate from these bodies with the glorious hope that the moment you are absent from the body, you are present with the Lord immediately. And the third type of death is eternal death. Eternal death. This can only be avoided if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Eternal death is spiritual death forever. That's eternal death. That's separation from God forever. To forever live apart from God, your Creator. Eternal death in Revelation chapter 21 is called the second death. But to those who believe, the Bible says the second death has no power. And thirdly, Adam's failure, not only did it bring sin into the world, not only did it bring death into the world, but Adam's failure brought condemnation into the world. Condemnation. Look at verse 16 now. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Condemnation. Condemnation from sin is one of, if not the heaviest burdens for a human being to carry. Any of you that have had to deal with condemnation know exactly what I'm talking about. The weight of guilt is almost unbearable. It's really what God uses to draw a person to himself. That weight is so unbearable that there's a conviction of sin and a realization that, God, you can forgive me, but I'll tell you, I meet a lot of Christians that carry around condemnation too. And not too many weeks from now, as we study through Romans, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, and we'll spend a glorious time in Romans 8 learning the truth that there is no condemnation for the believer. But condemnation is heavy. And you can blame condemnation on Adam. He brought it into the world. It's the feeling that things aren't right, that things aren't right with the Lord. I'm not walking in purity. I'm not walking in holiness. I'm not walking in obedience. I've got these things, this condemnation, along with it, guilt and shame. And if you leave it untouched, it will begin to beat you down and push you away from the Lord. You won't even be here anymore. Your chair will be empty because you won't have any desire for the things of God. You won't have any desire to worship the things of God. You will sit in your home. You will sit by yourself. You will beat yourself up. It's almost like the enemy winds you up and then just lets you go because he doesn't need to do it. Once, you, once it. once we start taking over, we do a good enough job at times of beating ourselves up. But I'll tell you what, as you see through the scripture, Jesus has delivered you from that. You don't have to walk around in guilt and shame and condemnation that God, he has delivered you through Jesus Christ by faith. And so the first Adam's behavior brought serious consequences upon the earth. We're all touched by his one sin. And we think sometimes, what can one man really do? I mean, seriously, what can one man really do? Let me tell you, one man can do a lot. You can think of some of the things that one man has done to change the course of history for very good reasons. You think of George Washington Carver. You think of Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln. One man changed the course of human history. And then we could also go through a list of men that changed the course of human history in a very evil way, can't we? We can name person after person in history that has totally destroyed humanity. And when their names come up, they go, oh, yeah, the one man can have a lot of power. You know, it's been wisely said that one man can take a match. And by sparking that match in the middle of a forest, he can burn the whole forest down, destroy all the wildlife, any homes that are there. Just one little match, just one match. 
A man takes it, throws it into the forest, boom, a whole forest is gone. But that same man or a different man could, same man with a different decision or a different man could take that same match and light it, well, light a candle and lead people out of darkness. Could warm the fires to somebody that's cold. It's all in the decision. You see, your life matters to God. Your life, your life. Oh, will you ever be listed in the annals of history? Maybe, maybe not. But your one life can make a great difference. Your one life, passionately pursuing Jesus Christ, can change those around you. God can use that. Your one life, helping someone tangibly, can change a person's direction. Your one life, lighting that match, and instead of destroying people, lighting the candle, taking that match, leading people out of darkness, your life, your life can matter. Oh, your life does matter. Adam led man down a path of sin and death, but God sent another Adam. He sent another Adam. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians, a little bit to the right from Romans. God sent another Adam, Paul tells us. He's considered and called the last Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I draw your attention to verse 45. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. God sent another Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And he too becomes a representative a federal head of all those by faith. It says, and so it is written, the first Adam became a life living being, but the last Adam became a life giving spirit. Now with two representatives, we have a choice to make. Which family do you want to be in? The Adam's family or in the family of Jesus Christ? We all are now given a choice. Which federal head, which representative do you and I want to identify ourselves? Let's go back to Romans now for a second and look at the contrast. We're going to walk through these passages beginning at verse 15. The first Adam brought death and destruction, but the last Adam brought life and peace and salvation. Look at verse 15. Back in Romans, let me get there with you. Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The free gift is not like the offense because the free gift results in grace. Look at verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. None of us want that. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. That you have a right standing with God. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Those who receive the abundance of grace will reign in life. Listen, guys, you can live a life of overcoming sin. You have a life that reigns, not a life where you're always on your heels and you're always backing up and you're always getting beat up and you're always getting pushed down. The Bible says the gift leads to an abundance of grace where you and I can reign. We can make progress. For some of you, that's a truth you need to tuck away in your heart and act on today. You don't have to have this up and down thing. Well, I had a great week, don't have a great week. I had a great month, don't have a great month. Had a great day, don't have a great day. You can reign every day of your life by faith in Jesus Christ. You can overcome sin and death. Think about it for a second. We are so thankful that we can look forward to seeing Jesus Christ, that he's forgiven us of our sins, but some of the little things in life beat us down. Why? Well, sometimes it's a lack of faith. And I don't mean that goofy, well, if you have more faith, you'd just be an overcomer. You already are an overcomer. Believe it. The Bible says that we're always led in victory through Jesus Christ. 
that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And Paul says here that those who receive the abundance of grace will reign in life. Verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. The free gift came to all men. So anyone that's hearing my voice, God, he loves you. He sent his only begotten son for you, that if you will bow the knee and surrender your life and repent of your sins and by faith believe in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins, you will be born again today. That's the truth of the gospel, the good news, that you no longer have to be bound by sin and death any longer, not one more moment, not one more day, not one more week, because the free gift came to all men. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Isn't that awesome? Grace abounded much more, the abounding grace of God that where sin was abounding, God rushed into, so I can overcome that, I can cover that, I can remove that, I can change the course of your life if you will look to me, God says. Abounding grace, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, anyone that would wanna bring you under a list of rules and regulations, anyone that would wanna lay some legalistic trip on you to be right with God, isn't reading their Bibles. The Bible says that grace would reign in your life, not the law. The Bible says that grace would reign in your life, not some list of rules and regulations. You're not gonna get that from us. We're not gonna lay out a list of rules and regulations. Okay, you wanna be a good Christian? Dress this way. I was like, what does a Christian dress like? I don't, I don't know. And what looks different in Aurora than it does in India, than it does on the other side of the world in Australia. It looks different. How would we, why would we tell you how to dress? Let me just say this. When you come to church, please come dressed. All right? And ladies, dress modestly, the Bible says. Guys, that modest dress is for you as well. But, but hey, you know what? Come as you are and allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. Come as you are and allow God to pour his life-giving spirit into you. But we're not gonna tell you this is the way you live your Christian life. I know it'd be easy that way, wouldn't it? If I could just get a list, how am I gonna live a good Christian life? Hey, listen, when you're in love with someone, you don't need a list. When you're in love with someone, you seek to please them. Why? Because you love them. Say, what's going to please you, honey? What's going to please you, mom? What's going to please you, dad? Because you love them. It's not a list. Well, these are the 10 things you can do to please me. If there's a need for a list, then there's really just a lack of love. That God would pour more love into us so that we don't need lists. That this isn't how you look and how you wear and how you talk. Listen, love Jesus and he'll give you direction. Now think of it this way. The world takes on a different flavor, doesn't it? Everything wrong with the world today, with you and your family and your husband and your wife and your kids and your coworkers is due to Adam's failure. And a reverberating for believers, why they're struggling, because we revert back to Adam's family. And we forget that we're new creations in Christ, that old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're in a new family now. You see, when I realize that it's the sin of Adam that's passed through humanity, it changes my heart toward people. It changes my heart toward having more compassion on the people that might get under my skin. It changes my heart where, you know, that person that you've been dealing with, that's an unbeliever, and you realize, you know what, they're, they're blinded to what they're doing. They don't understand. And it changes my perspective. It changes my heart. 
Knowing this allows me and it encourages me to see people in an entirely different light and have compassion on them. I realize that the cheating and the stealing and the lying of this world is something that we all share in Adam. And I see now that when Jesus looks out on the multitudes and has compassion on them, he loved them in spite of their resistance and their rebellion and their failures. That's the kind of love that flows through us. That there's an unconditional love in our lives. And it finally sing, when it finally sinks in that by one man's righteousness, justification and grace came, then I can stop striving and struggling to prove that I'm just a little bit better than someone else. Or I deserve just a little bit more than my sister or my brother. I, I can just, I, I can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ in my life. And I can also stop feeling bad if I see someone or I see others who seem to be a little ahead of me spiritually that seem to be progressing, maturing a little bit faster, that seem to, to make some decisions or have some blessings that I don't yet have because this life isn't lived all about me. It's all about Jesus. And so through the first Adam in the garden, he plunged the world into sin, death, condemnation, eternal separation, Paul says. But the last Adam, Jesus, he made possible the gift of salvation. He made it possible for us. Notice where sin in Jesus is replaced with righteousness where death is replaced in Jesus with eternal life, where condemnation is replaced in Jesus with forgiveness, where aimless wanderings replaced in Jesus with a focused purpose, a laser purpose, where the law is replaced in Jesus with abounding grace. And it's interesting as a pastor to see so many people believe this theologically. You mean God has forgiven me of my past, present, and future? He's forgiven me and removed the guilt and removed the shame? And I would venture a guess if I asked you today, do you really believe this theologically? Do you really believe it as a concept? Do you really believe it as a biblical truth? You would say, yes, I believe it. Yeah, I do believe that, Ed. I believe that Jesus has changed me. I believe that he's washed me. I believe that I'm cleansed in his sight. I believe that he's going to restore to me the years that were wasted in sin. He's going to restore to me when I stumbled as a Christian, when I fell really hard. I believe that. But I'll tell you what, I hear that out of the mouths of many, but what I see in their life is not what they're saying. But rather, they're walking around with the same guilt and condemnation that Jesus has removed. Oh, I believe it, but I'm not living it. I believe it, but I feel so horrible. I believe it, but man, my past keeps coming up. I believe it, and where the mouth leads to the feet, there's a disconnect. And so we say, okay, I'm not under guilt anymore. I love God's grace and still live under the same guilt and shame from what you did that was wrong and sinful. God wants you to be free from that shame. He sent his only begotten son to cleanse you thoroughly, completely. Before you ever get rid of your shame, you have to come and have your guilt taken care of. You need to come back to the cross where Jesus Christ died for you. It is there and only there that Jesus has completely taken care of the sin problem in your life. And many times, believers, they waver. We waver away from the cross. We forget that, that at the cross, we're all on equal grounds there. We're all on, on our knees worshiping Jesus Christ at the cross in his perfect, wonderful life, death, and resurrection. And we leave the cross and we wander away. We take things back into our own hands and we Start becoming defeatist and, oh, things are never going to change. I'm never going to stop having these feelings. And, and as you live in that kind of thing, you're disobeying what Philippians says, that whatever is good and true and noble, meditate on these things. Let your mind be filled with the goodness of God and the graciousness of God and the forgiveness of God and let him cleanse you daily of all of the things that you carry around. So you blew it big time, I know. And it brought great shame and condemnation. I realize that. And many consequences are happening that you still are paying for today, I realize. 
But in Jesus Christ, today is the day of something fresh and something new and something farther away. You don't live in the past. You realize that? Your past is over. It's done. Never to be repeated again. It is a day on a calendar that's in a closet somewhere. It no longer exists. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of freshness. Today is a new day in Jesus Christ. Live that way, gang. Live that way and realize that the Lord has done wonderful things in our midst, that he loves you so much, that he's so good. Flip over to Leviticus, would you? Leviticus chapter 16, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Did you know as a church, we study Leviticus verse by verse on a Wednesday night, a midweek study. It's a Thursday night. It's Wednesdays now. We studied all the way through. It's a wonderful book. Don't be afraid of Leviticus. Leviticus. Don't be afraid to even say it. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16, great picture of what it's like to have your sin and your guilt removed from you as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And look at this picture, verse 7, Leviticus chapter 16. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take, verse 7, the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. You ever hear that phrase before? This is exactly where we get it from, the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. So one goat would be sacrificed and then the priest would take, he would take the blood and put the blood on the scapegoat and then they would take the scapegoat with the children of Israel around and point it into the wilderness and let it go. And they would watch it run away. And they would all be there in anticipation, watching it run, watching it run, all the way to the horizon until finally the goat disappeared. And then the children of Israel rejoiced that their sins had been removed, had run away from them. The scapegoat was gone. Now, if that goat tried to come back, I saw it come back into the camp, man. I'd chase it away. Get out of here, man. You want to be like your other buddy there on the sacrifice? Get out of here. And when you see the sins coming back and the enemy tries to use it against you, you see it sneaking up in the back door or front door. You see it sneaking up through your husband and your wife. You see your kids bringing it up or your past, just, just weird things coming up. Remember, it has run away. Jesus Christ, he has taken away your sin and the guilt and the shame. And there's great joy and rejoicing to be found in Jesus Christ because today we have a real Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived and he died and he rose again to remove both the guilt of sin and its shame. And by faith in the last Adam, in Jesus Christ, by the hand of faith, we confess our sins upon him and we believe that he bore those sins for us. We then need to live in the freedom of that shameless existence that we now have in Jesus Christ. God wants you to really feel forgiven for the rest of your life. And what Adam did, the last Adam has undone by faith. Isn't that great news? What Adam did to the human race is reversible through faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work at the cross. 
Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in Romans. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is a great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. We enjoy hearing from our listeners, even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. This is a must-read for anyone who desires to serve the Lord and be involved in ministry. In it, he invites ministry leaders to listen in on 30 short armchair chats that will no doubt encourage and inspire them for service. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.